Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship and dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. I am here with Sue Allen. And Sue Allen, you've brought a friend. I'm going to let you introduce your friend to us as we uh, begin our conversation today. Super. Glad to be here, James. Appreciate the time. We've been uh, preparing this um, opportunity for a while. Um, and I have today Jenna McFarling, who is um, a nurse practitioner who has really been on both ends of life. She was working with delivering babies earlier in her career and then did a lot of work, has done a lot of work with hospice um, here in the second part of her career. And so uh, Jenna has organized for Northside um, a, a thing called Living Fully Dying Well, a okay. six-week yeah, series. Mm-hmm. So we've done that twice. She and some of her friends have put that together. And so people have so benefited from Jenna's voice at that time and that opportunity that I brought her along to help her bring to life the whole concept of grief and how we live fully and and, and we grieve those uh, who um, then go on to heaven. So she's been a great friend and a great mentor in these kind of dynamics for me. So I thought Jenna would be great to have today. Jenna, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, I'm going to give you a chance to talk a little bit about yourself. Uh, Where are you from? (laughs) What's your story? Well, my story is, um, Sue just told you everything about me there is to know. (laughs) Um, I I actually am not from Atlanta. I grew up in a military family and moved all over. So I didn't come to Atlanta until um, after college. But, um, and then became, I was a nursing major, became a nurse practitioner, um, worked in women's health care. And then just when my kids went to college, I wanted to do something else. And I got in the world of hospice, which I, I didn't imagine liking. And as soon as I got there, it, it I was bit. It was just such a magical so place. So you didn't imagine that you would like it, yet you chose to do that. What, what was the Well, somebody asked me. Okay. Somebody asked me. They said, you would be great at hospice. And I said, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> and um, because I was afraid. I was afraid of death, and I was afraid yeah. of, of watching people suffer. I think yeah. that was what I was afraid of. Not the patient as much as, like, the grievers, the people grieving sure. the patient in the loss. And so... Anyway, I, I just went and experienced it for myself, um, kind of spent eight hours there watching what goes on, yeah. and I was just so impressed about how people could help people in grief and suffering and managing the loss of um, someone they love. So anyway, it became a, a real quest of mine to start doing work with that because I've had a fair amount of grief in my own life, and, and, um, and I realize it, it's just different for everyone. So Yeah, yeah. We are going to talk about um, grief today, and that is um, going to cover, I think, a lot of different areas of human experience. Um, as we start out today, I'm, I'm curious as if we can get just a, a solid definition of what we mean when we talk about grief. What is grief? How does it impact us? And what is this label that we've put on this intense emotional feeling that we have as human beings? I'm deferring to Jenna for right now, and I will add commentary. She will correct you. I I think grief is is an experience of loss, and it's a a process 
that we have our entire lives. And I think the thing that's interesting about grief is that a lot of times we aren't even realizing that we're grieving something. They could be big losses, like losing a, a loved one or um, a job or a divorce. I mean, yeah. you know, those are kind of big ticket items, but there are little griefs throughout life that, mm -hmm. you know, we lost something that was valuable to us or things like that. So grief is something that, to me, is how we experience loss. Okay. And I think it's a process. And I think it's a lifelong process. Um, and it's not something we ever get totally we over. We get through it. Get through it. But we may not get over it. Is are you big into the um the five stages of grief? The the denial and the anger and the all of those Bargaining things. Bargaining with Bargaining, God. Uh -huh, all those Acceptance. steps. Acceptance. I've definitely seen uh those in action before many times. Uh, in well, the grieving process. And one of the things I think about those are they, they're kind of building blocks for, mm -hmm. for the grief process, but there's not a, a sense that um, there's, they are linear, mm -hmm. that you, you know, that you're in denial and then you go into anger and then you go into bargaining and then depression and you then move acceptance. All around, right? yeah. Yes. I mean, I, one thing I did for this podcast was to reach out to about 20 people. Um, in our community, mm -hmm. um, from Northside and nearby, who have taught me a lot about grief just by walking and talking with them, sitting with them, listening to them, being with them in the midst of their grief. That's how I learn best, is really listening yeah. with other people who are learning with God what it means to live on sure. after grief and so for me when I reached out to these different people from different walks of life in our community the the resounding um, overlap was that grief number one is so very personal everyone does it their own time their own way um, and then that that these stages are helpful to know these words to say, oh, that's what I'm feeling right now. Right now I'm feeling anger. And that's right. a normal part of the process. But they were quick to say it is it is not a linear process. It is not you go from one step to the next to the next. It's like two steps forward, three steps back, mm. go from one phase. It's circular right. and it's spiraling and you never can predict when one one of those emotions is really going to emerge and surprise you Absolutely. because you thought well, you were done with it. You right, know? right. I think maybe sometimes we're too quick to try to move forward before we're ready. Right. Yes. And so if you have like a checklist like that, sometimes that can be dangerous. Right? Yeah. Because you're like, all right, I'm done with that. I'm not going to be angry about this anymore. And then you move on and then you find yourself really angry. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, no, I'm done with that. I, I went through that already. That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. Did you want to add anything to uh, Gina's definition of, of grief? Grief to me is lifelong, and it is both individual, internal. We, we grieve inside very differently, but also it's communal. You know, I think we help each other with our grief. So for me, I've learned so much from other people in the middle of uh, places that I would never want to be, mm. but they're there and I can be there with them. And, 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 and so I think grief, it's important. Um, it's, it's, it's a process that requires both an individual inner work as well as a willingness to share um, your deepest emotions with trusted people who can 
help to to process it with you and yeah. move move you along. Um, um, I, I like this quote that Shakespeare says, um, he who doesn't have time to grieve doesn't have time to heal. Yeah, that's good. So I really think that if we want to heal into our wholeness of how God has created us, I think grief is going to be a part of the process of life. Yeah. Um, that we uh, really, it's a gift we give ourselves and other people when we can notice that this is an important aspect of living fully. I like that idea of, of grief as a gift, uh, as just recognizing not maybe not the actual thing that caused the grief, but the grief itself, that process as being a gift. You know, grief is an individual process and there is no, you know, some people think, okay, well, it's been two months, so I better be over it. You know, they think that that's grief has a way to be, go through it. Right. And it's so individual and people grieve differently according to, um, one, what they lost um, in one of the books that we were looking at, it said that, um, you know, we grieve the depth of our, our grief is proportionate to the depth of the love of the thing we lost. Okay. Um, and so I think that's important to know. But I also think it's important to know that some of us are processors. Yeah. We take much longer than somebody who isn't. And, and where we came from growing up, you know, if I uh, was told to go to my room every time I cried, um, then that's what I've grown up with, and that's what I know, and you know, inherently. And so I'm, I, I want to grieve alone. Right. You know, Sue was talking about community, which I think is how it heals us. But if we don't know, yeah, that because of where we come from, I think it's it is important to have somebody help us get through it. So uh, I'm that makes me wonder. Um, is there? So you're saying that there's no universal way to grieve. There's no one way to do it. Like every, we all experience grief on our own, um, on our own wavelength well on our own path right um I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not there's healthy or unhealthy ways to grieve though like going to my room to cry every every time i'm i feeling like i'm i have grief i want to grieve alone is that always going to be the healthy way for me to do that or is there should i be pushed out of that uh kind of solitary grief because it does feel like grief requires a community to kind of move through right and if i'm always grieving alone i wonder if um how I would know that I've made it through the grief process, right? Because I'm, I'm always going to be in that echo chamber of my own grief. I wonder, I, I'm just curious, I don't know, do we have any experience with that? Any thoughts on that? Is there healthy and unhealthy ways to grieve? I think in some ways that we, um, I think uh, getting stuck in doing it one way, either alone or always having to be with people, I think that getting I think the facets of grief, the more that we can engage the different ways of grieving, the more it, it, it moves us along. Yeah. Um, if we get stuck in our room, that's great for a period of time. But if that's where we set up camp and, and build a shrine in there and we right. don't ever come out, I think that, that we, we lose out and the world loses out. In the gift that we are learning in darkness, yeah, the treasures of darkness, we need to be able to share those into the world. And then once we see them and others help us to see them, we can go back into our room and learn more with God. And then it's a coming and yeah, going, back and I forth. think, yeah, like that. back and forth. I, I'm, I, I've known people um, 
in my life that um, grieve something for a very long time. And, and whether or not it's something that I would think is important or not, they get caught up in it. And so uh, that's the reason why I asked that question. If, if they're in the, and these, these folks that I'm thinking of are very much uh, grieving alone kind of people. Um, and I'm curious as to whether or not people shouldn't try to push them out of that. Uh, you know, I'm wondering if that kind of level of grief or that way of dealing with grief is uh, healthy or not. I have one thing to say to that. I We read in our living room, in our Bible study, a couple semesters back, um, Parker Palmer's book, Let Your Life Speak. Yeah. And one thing that he says, I think is so important. He says, when you're with a, a grieving, suffering person, the the balance is not to invade and not to avoid. Mm. So finding the sweet spot between not that avoiding. very difficult to do, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a avoid. very personal, yeah. it's mm-hmm. a very soul-searching thing even to think, how do I be with this person? Yeah. But the, 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 the guardrails of don't invade and don't avoid, I think if we can somehow, you know, have those be our guard, guardrails with God, that we can be people that can grieve with others um and uh do it in a way that's not um invasive and do it in a way that is supportive okay yeah yeah and and i think that there's a um you know a lot of people think that they can just say something quick you know like oh don't worry you can have another one or you know Mm. this has happened to so and so Mm -hmm. and and you know it's um what i it was a spiritual versus uh just to be in presence, you know, instead of saying, oh, God will do this or God will take care of that, and which, you know, is is true to the person saying it, but the person grieving is having a hard time with God probably right at that oh, moment. Absolutely, yeah. And so I think it's it's about being present with someone. It's about listening to their story, listening to them tell their story. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, back to Parker Palmer, um, one of the things that they do as Quakers is they ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, and they and so that the person can get a little deeper and feel a little, you know, it's like, well, you know, how do you feel about this? And what about this? And and so that they have to go deeper. And I think to your point about people staying in their room and grieving and whatever, that they don't have they don't get through grief. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you can't get through grief. And somebody told me once that people that um, stay by themselves all the time and only talk to themselves sometimes get really bad advice (laughs) (laughs) so that might be it (laughs) (laughs) i wonder if um in, in the same vein um i guess my experience has been and maybe maybe this is um um this just says a lot about how I'm I'm not uh, I'm not well versed in how to deal with grief myself, but um, I think grief can also be a, a distorting process for us. It can distort the way that we see the world. It can distort the way we see God and other relationships and how we see ourselves in particular. Um, and so, if that distortion isn't isn't corrected, I guess by the by a community of people or by a friend or by somebody outside our own head and outside of our own grief. Like we need people who are in the light to pull us back into the light, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I've I've found grief to be a distorting process in in, in some ways. Uh, I think it's a healthy process, but it can become a distorting process. I guess if that's mm-hmm. if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, what I'm trying to say there. Um, 
Well, and I think giving people permission to grieve if they like, like if they want to be angry at God, let yeah. them be angry oh, at God. absolutely, right. You know, they need to be able to be where they are and who they are in that moment mm-hmm. without being shamed or said, don't grieve this way. Yeah. And so I think that's a part, the important part of listening. One of the one of the books in the Bible that I think deals with grief maybe the most more than any other book in the Bible is the book of Job, and you guys are familiar with mm-hmm. that, no doubt. And uh, Job's friends who show up uh, sometimes get a bad rap for some of the things that they say, and, and and rightfully so. But one of the cool things that a lot of us don't pay attention to is when they first show up to meet Job, they just sit with them, and they sit with them for days. They sit with them for days and don't say anything. Until eventually they're like, okay, Job, it's time. It's time to deal with this, right? And until Job speaks, they don't speak at all. And Job's first utterances in that book, uh, after all the catastrophe that hits his life, is very uh, dark stuff, right? As as we would expect. But um, just the uh, the ability to sit with somebody who is grieving, um, whatever that loss might be, um, I think is is very important. One thing that it makes me think of, like I said, I reached out to several people um, on their own processing of grief. And one of the women um, who lost her son to suicide Mm. um, a handful of years back, she has been such a great model for me of how to stay connected to herself and to God and to essential others um, as she's gone through this process. But she sent, one thing she sent back was um, a a poem from John Dante. Mm -hmm. And it says, um, God never says, you should have come yesterday. He never says, you must come again tomorrow. But today, if you will hear his voice, today, he will hear you. He brought light out of darkness, not out of lesser light. Mm. He can bring thy summer out of winter, though thou have no spring. All occasions invite his mercies, and all times are his seasons. Uh, I think that's beautiful, but you know what? We can't do grief wrong. That that's what I feel. Yeah. That saying is God. God knows that we need to grieve, and God knows that God's with us as mm-hmm. we suffer, and that whatever form it takes, God says, "Yes, I'm here with you," and and um, I, I'm staying in this darkness for as long as is necessary. Yeah, and, and I'm gonna be like a little dimmer switch. That, that allows, you know, enough light for this day. And, and gradually it, it, it just expands into light. But in Paula D'Arcy says, the most amazing thing that God did after her husband was killed and her young daughter were killed instantly by a drunk driver. Um, and she was pregnant, three months pregnant, um, and she lived. And she says, you know what? I realized the best thing about was God was that he dimmed himself to come into my darkness. Oh, wow. And that is the most amazing thing. He sat there for as long as was necessary with me. Yeah. And um, that was the most loving thing he could have ever done. So we have a God that dims into our darkness. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. Yeah. Um, wow. Great. 
I, I'm, so that that leads me to ask a question as as Christians, um, and we're talking about the grieving process. And Gene, I'm not sure if your your hospice care and the things that you've been, if that was a particularly Christian thing that you, if it was a Christian organization or anything like that. But I'm curious, as as Christians, how have you seen God in particular play a role in our grieving process as we as we go through that? Well, I think for me, it's some of the things that are you know, it's, it's signs and symbols around me. Mm. And, um, and so I, in some of my greater griefs, I've, um, I've made a list of the gifts that have come from the grief. Um, the people that have come into my life because of my grief or the people that, um, or the, the books that I've read or the, uh, you know, all of a sudden having quiet time and, and God being there. Um, I, I've even felt, I mean, I've actually felt an audible voice yeah. before when I've been in really deep, deep grief and really trying to meditate. So, I mean, it's so clear to me that God's there. And one of my favorite things to do is, is when I'm really down and I really think something's not um, going my way and I'm, I'm kind of depressed about whatever, I'll go for walks. And so many times when I go for walks, I find a penny on the sidewalk and I pick it up and it says, in God we trust. Yeah. And I just feel like that's that's where God is in, in the things around me. And, but it takes awareness, you know, and, um, and it's not a fast fix by any means, because when you're first in grief, you probably don't have awareness of much. Yeah. You know, you're kind of numb and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can't even remember what you did two minutes ago and, Mm -hmm. um, old age and grief, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, I, I think in some ways I, uh, I think that we have a God that grieves with us sure. and we see at the cross both a son that is dying unjustly, you know, just ridiculed and mm-hmm. in pain and, and, and grieving sorrow, a man of sorrow, but looking to the joy that's beyond the cross. So mm. both we see Jesus and he models what it means to grieve and then we see a father that is watching his son die. Yeah. You know, so the the cross section of that, I yeah. mean, if you look at the cross, is it not all about walking through grief and, yeah. and, and, and with one another, you know, with God, if we are uh, connected and made by and filled up with this God that is three persons that, that, you know, for the God, the father to watch God, the son die mm-hmm. and God, the son know that God, the father may allowed this to happen. Yeah. It, it, there's just so much interaction about sorrow and grief within the heart of this God that walks with us, I yeah. think. I'm curious as to whether or not you guys think that there are ways in which when we are not grieving that we can train ourselves to be more uh, open to the presence of God when we do go through grief. Does that make sense? Like Almost like mm-hmm. preparing for grief. Uh, is that something that makes sense? Well, that, you know, that strikes such a, an interesting chord with me because I, and I think this may be hindsight looking back at grief, but I really believe that God prepares an arc for us mm. before we go through grief. Okay. And it might be like for me in a personal level, uh, when I went through a deep grief, before I went through that grief, 
I, I joined a women's support group out of the blue. I don't do women's support groups. Usually, <laughs> I don't But I do now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but back then I didn't, you know, and I just had this group came up and I did it. Okay. You know, and, um, and then, you know, I had a friend who went through another grief process or something and, and I could help her grieve. Yeah. And, but like I said before, people come into my life, but there were people there that were preparing the ark. Yeah. So that when I actually went through my own grief, you were ready for it. I, or at least I was on the boat. Better prepared. Yeah. Yeah. I could get through the storm. We call that uh, prevenient grace here in the Methodist tradition. The okay. God who goes before and prepares the way for us. Right, uh, right. And so I think that, that that that's a beautiful image. I like that. I like the story. I like the idea of an ark. Well, um, also, I think a lot of the groups that we do. Um, here at Northside and, you know, in our community, things we offer. I mean, the books that, that I read in my living room with, you know, groups of women, a lot of times there is a sense of deepening down into a God that is with us and we get to know the character of this God. And, um, and so we feel less alone maybe because we really have engendered a personal relationship. But um, one of the most precious people that have taught me about grief um, is Kathy Smith, Mm. you know, in, in our, and I remember she, she did a talk for our women's Latin communion service several years back. And she and I've spent about a year, nine months, weekly really talking through what does she want to say you know after losing her daughter Abby who was struggling from she was diagnosed age two and a half and then died in um, 2011 August um, at age seven and that process I think shaped our whole our whole church family in significant ways and then the night that she spoke for our women's Latin communion service she just laid out there all of the process that she had been through. And one of the things she said, I, all the things that I used to read for my Bible studies, for my, you know, streams in the desert, all the songs I used to find so marvelous. She said, they turned my stomach mm. after Abby died. They're singing about a dog, a, a, a God that had just allowed our, our baby to go through this and to, to die. And she said, it took I, I so I thought they'd be comfort. I thought right. they'd be source of comfort. These devotions, these. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said it, it. It just it just felt so wrong to me. And so she said that that lasted for a time, and I was so surprised by that. Um, but this is one thing she she shared with me as she wrote back, and and this is one thing she shared on that night. She said. Um, uh, God does not always answer our prayers, even when we offer those prayers in faith at times of real and pressing need. While God may not answer our prayers as we pray them, God does not abandon us. God works through the situations from which we have not been delivered as we asked. Jesus' crucifixion became the most powerful sign of God's sacrificial love and human redemption in the history of the world. It became God's vehicle for the salvation of the human race. God did not take away Jesus' suffering, but he turned that pain and agony into the greatest gift to all mankind, the salvation and uh, eternal life of every human being. Um, 
So I, I think that in some ways, God's doing a greater thing. Yeah. And even if we're mad at him, even if we feel so disconnected, even if we can't feel him at all, I think God is doing something significant. And God really doesn't waste our pain. I think God transforms us in the midst of our pain so that we become saving agents um, in the world, you know? One of the advantages you were talking about, you joined a women's group out of the blue, right? I think one of the advantages of having a church home, having a church family, having groups that we meet with uh, is those groups help us prepare us to have the kind of faith, right, that we're talking about as we go into a grieving process. Um, so if you're not part of a church or a small group, you should be um, immediately. Because, you know, in some ways you want to build... Um, your foundation right. on sunny days. Right. You want you want to feel um, like you know this God very personally on times you're building, building, yeah. building. So that's when you're building your ark. That on is. On the sunny days. Right. Before mm-hmm. On the, the sunny comes. days. Right. And then, right. then <laughs> you, you know, it truly, uh, when we invest beforehand, I think it carries us through because those moments are going to happen for all of sure. us. And too many uh, of us try to build the ark when the floodwaters are already here, right? Yeah. And we're trying to find the wood out of the water or whatever. Biblical images, I love them. They're great. But I think to your point of having a community and, and a church family is that they are the people to help you yeah. on the sunny days. Right. They help you because, you know, that's what gives you strength. They're helping us build our ark. Sure. And, um, and I think God it presents those you know those opportunities to us all the time absolutely um and i would imagine that being with our friends and our fellow church members fellow disciples who are going through a grieving process even when we're in the sun you know we're having a fine time that helps us prepare for when we are going to be the grievers you know we can recall back to um the time when you know just helping one another i think just makes us better right Right. Well, in, any, in any process, right? People going through a similar grief, and I think a church community, especially because there's all those connections, you know, and somebody will know somebody else who's going through a similar process right. and maybe connect those people because right. it is much better to me um, to at least if I have a grief that feels so I'm the only one ever. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's just nobody has a grief as bad as mine. Yeah. Um, that if I can meet somebody else that had a similar grief and see how they actually have gotten through it. Um, is really helpful. Absolutely. Well, and I also think when we go through a grief process, if we deeply go through a valley, we come up on the other side a little bit more comfortable in our own skin. Yeah. And a little less afraid of death. Right. And a little more like... Wise, more wisdom. Wise and and, and, and trusting Mm -hmm. that even this... I can live through. And sometimes the things that we grieve most, the losses that that really shape us, carve us down the deepest, become our gift to the world. Because we then, I mean, I, I feel like people who have been through it can walk us back up out of the valley to the mountaintop and they can, it's like they come back and, and get us in yeah, some ways absolutely. and help us along. So they, that, that grief becomes a gift to the world. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that I like that a lot. And then the whole idea of going into a valley of grief or any kind of suffering, really, and coming back up on the other side, one of the things that I've had to learn in life uh, is that when we're coming back up on the other side, we're on a different mountain. It's not the same one we left before. Mm-hmm. Right? And what I think is that we, it's a check mark. Mm. I, I call them check marks, that we have significant times of dropping down yeah. into ourselves and into God in a deep, deep, deep way. And then death occurs to what we expected yeah. and we grieve what was what we wanted and, and it didn't get. Um, and yet resurrection occurs mm. and we are lifted higher than we were before. And we come up with these treasures of darkness that we couldn't have gotten any other way. Sure. And so really, when I think about my own life and the life of people I've walked with, there are many people could identify a handful of check marks yeah. in their life that have really shaped who they are yeah. and made them truly into a greater gift, a richer gift to this world. Absolutely. You know, it reminds me of this quote that is like my favorite quote that we came up with that in one of the books um, is a book by David Kessler called Finding Meaning, mm. the sixth stage of grief. Um, <laughs> he's added a sixth All right, stage. I like, I like that one. But um, anyway, the quote says, I remind people that broken crayons can still color. <laughs> and while our lives may feel broken, we still have the potential to create something beautiful. That's awesome. I like that a lot. It reminds yeah. me of my daughter who breaks a crayon and then just collapses on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and we do that. That's yeah. a natural thing, collapse on the floor. But, you know, I've heard I've heard it said, um, it's like when we're grieving, all the poles in our teepee fall down. <laughs> and really, we're, we are a teepee flattened. Yeah. We are, uh, we, your daughter is a mess, a puddle on the floor. <laughs> exactly. And we are a puddle on the floor for a while yeah. until we start saying, okay, but let me look up and what what is still living and how might that be something I get connected to? And I, you know, then we, we raise our teepee back up with new, you know, maybe new ways of thinking and meaning, right? I mean, new meaning, new meaning, maybe Mm -hmm. uh, people that, that, that are with us that, that um, really allow us to raise back up. Um, in a new way, yeah. uh, in trusting God even more deeply. And you realize there's, you know, 48 other colors in the crayon box. Yeah. It's really... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> As we as we're talking about grief here today, um, in particular within our own context, we have this pandemic going on. And um, COVID-19 or the coronavirus, novel coronavirus, it's called by many, it comes by many names, but it has impacted our life in uh, many ways and drastic ways, uh, in, and some including even even death and sickness and death. And um, as we discuss this today, I think we'd be remiss not to take a moment to talk about some of the ways in which um, this pandemic has uniquely impacted us as a community, as individuals, uh, and in the context of grief, where have we where have we seen that in our community and how we, how have we dealt with it? Well, you know, interestingly, I, I get to write a blog post each morning. And this morning's blog post, I highlighted um, the wise words of Ron Greer, 
mm-hmm. who is a pillar in our community. He's a um, pastoral counselor at Peachtree Road Methodist, and he wrote probably one of the best books I've ever read on grief when his two-and-a-half-year-old son Eric died in a car crash. Um, it's called Markings on the Windowsill, and it is a small book that is so powerfully important for those grieving. But um, just recently, during the pandemic, his wife, Karen, died, and he talks about the difference between being able to grieve back then with Eric with people, um, and then now to grieve Karen, um, you know, in the midst of um, the pandemic, he wrote a piece, and I'll share just a little part of it called um, Grieving Without Hugs. And so he said uh, this, my wife died several weeks ago. There has been no hugs apart from immediate family, no handshakes, No squeezing of the arm, no face-to-face expressions of care and concern without a mask or plenty of distance. At the very time those who are mourning need closeness, COVID insists on distance. Much of the personal intimacy needed by those who grieve has had to be sacrificed for the greater good of our health. Meanwhile, so much has been gained medically. Emotionally, though, so much has been lost. Something is diminished when empathy is muffled by a mask and voices have to be projected from a safe distance away. So we keep our distance, which means the house is quiet. So, so quiet. Everything is still. The loneliness is pervasive. I write this from the vantage of one who is as surrounded, physically distanced, to be sure, by as much support as one could imagine. Do not feel sorry for me. I have family, dear friends, church members, and others in my community. I write this piece for those who may not be as fortunate as I, yet as blessed as I. I also get it. I too know something of the loss within the loss, the loss of personal face-to-face support within the loss of a loved one. So he says, I'm lonely, yeah, and I miss my wife the very most, but I also miss the people that would be right. hugging me, would be with me if it were not pandemic time. Um, and Which so the, it's a different kind of like grief. Amplifies, yeah. It amplifies the loneliness. Yeah. It amplifies the silence. Yeah. When you think about that, that's an oxymoron, but that's that's what he's talking about yeah. there, right? Yeah. And that's mm, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And there's also the grief of, of missing being with someone when they're dying. Yes. I mean, that has just that's been so, yes. so hard for so many people oh. to not be able to be with the person you love. That's been some of the hardest stories that I've heard coming out of the mm-hmm. pandemic and, and um, just the idea that you can't be with the person who is is, is sick in the hospital and the ICU is, is passing away yep. and you can't even say goodbye. Yeah. And that's, 
It's unimaginable grief. In my it mind. is, and it's grief that you don't get over the same way you would if right. you were able to give the final gifts the closure, that yeah. happen in those moments, because there are th- magical, miraculous things that happen at the end of life yeah. that give life. Yeah. And to not be present for those, to be held away from those, I think it's a grief that is really, really deeply difficult yeah. to process. Yeah. You would be there if you could be there, but when you can't, right. you're left with another. That's a There's loss within the loss. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say that's very hard and very sad is that we can't gather in large groups yeah. to celebrate the life of this amazing person that yeah. has gone to heaven and um, we're not able to hug those left on earth, you know, and so the touch is lost, the, right. the celebration is lost. Um, that memory of people holding you at your deepest, darkest moment and being embraced, it, it, we can't do it yeah. um, on, on a larger scale like we normally do. Well, and I think, too, that the not seeing people die, we tend to let our imaginations go crazy about how how awful, how horrible, how horrific it was, how the death was, you know, like we see on TV. And, and I think as somebody who's who's worked in hospice and been with people as they pass with their families present, the, you know, it's just such a night and day difference that usually death is is peaceful yeah. in a lot of ways and and when with the family there and, and they can feel comforted comforted <laughs> that um you know that that they actually see that this it's almost like there's the sh- body is a shell and you realize the person's gone right which is a magical thing to experience and um and it does help grief I was going to ask if you had any personal experience with anybody who's lost somebody during COVID. I Um, I don't know if you feel comfortable, if you would like to talk about that. No, I I have a dear friend that um, she's an only child and um, her parents got COVID. She helped was taking care of him um, and with them. Then she got COVID from them. The father went into the hospital. The mother was at home and then the mother um, got symptoms got worse she went to the hospital and her parents both died within a minute of each other holding hands in the icu wow um both from covid and she couldn't see them because she had covid wow and she's an only child and had lost a brother previously to suicide so i mean to think about that kind of compacted grief is just Yeah, and, and so, those, so hard. my guess is there's those stories all over. Oh, sure. Right. You know, and, and one person that I know that has lost her husband, not to COVID, but lost her husband during, during COVID. During COVID, yeah. She wrote this. She said, you know, I, I, I yearn for his gentle pats and warm hugs. Not being able to embrace friends makes his absence even more acute. Mm. I yearn for physical touch and the intimacy of closeness. And she is, you know, she uh, appreciates Ron Greer and, and the teaching he's given her. But she says, like Ron, I wondered if my cards and notes meant much more to me now because this personal message is a gift, a treasure 
that I, you know, didn't, she didn't really even think, she thought notes were sentimental and kind of, right. you know, like surface things, but they are the things that speak to her now. Um, and she said, you know, she's cried walking up the driveway, just knowing that someone's reached out to her. And she says he, she agrees with Ron and says, yes, the loneliness is pervasive and the house is still. When people grieve, in normal times, you bring over a meal. Sure. You you stop by and hang out, and and and, and you you go to grieving homes, and there is just filled with lots of people that love yeah. deeply and well. And during this time, she has not been able to invite people in. But people have reached out to her in creative ways, you know, and, 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 and writing notes has really, she can read them yeah. day or night. There, there's something special about that. She also said that the funeral that they did, the celebration of life was so special just with her private family. Yeah. It was small. And she said, for me, I would have loved my big church family. But she said, for the kids that live out of town, Mm -hmm. They loved it this way because her husband was a private man yeah. to begin with. And for the kids, they didn't have to glad hand people they didn't know. Right. And kind of do an event. Right. Um, you know, that a funeral sometimes can turn into. Sure. So she said, actually, it's very, very, very sweet, intimate and marvelous for our small family. And yet she said, I miss, you know, the yeah. hugs and the scooping up of, of, of people in our church family. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think just, you know, I mean, the other thing about COVID is COVID itself is a loss, whether we lose somebody during COVID or not. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that's interesting about it is if you're an introvert, which I, I am an introvert with an extroverted personality. <laughs> <laughs> that might, but, I like that description. <laughs> But I, um, I love my quiet time and I love my space. And so COVID for me is like, whoa, good. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. I, you know, it's a very, I mean, it is lonely sometimes, but for the most part, I'm okay with yeah. being alone. Yeah. Um, but just going people on that are your extroverts, is, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. struggling. Sure. You know, but I, I would think that it would be really hard to have your you know be reined in yeah kind of absolutely. and i think that's a real struggle and, and i know i've read recently that the suicide rate is is much higher sure. during covid yeah. um and i think again it's loss of community and um loss of interactions with other people um you know not not just our family or the people that we can't hug i mean for an yeah. extrovert it's just people right anywhere right. you know going to a store talking to somebody whatever which we're you know not doing but you know do, one of the things i think it's made me do is try to be more intentional about the people that God lays on my heart, yeah, you know, yeah. and, 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 and feeling, okay, how might I reach out in, and you know what, to me, texts have become more intimate. Email has yeah. become more intimate. It's any um, form of connection. Has this more intimate, connection. Right? Yeah. And even zoom can be intimate. Sure. I think if we, if we, um, really engage with our whole self present. And so uh, a surface zoom thing just drives me crazy. And I, I zoom out, you know, I zoom out very quickly, but when, when, when it, we're really able to 
to see each other's faces yeah. and, and, and have a small number of people on Zoom, I think it can be very, very intimate. And, yeah. and it's, it's an avenue that we can um, travel down. The other thing I found during COVID, I have increased my number of walk and talks with yeah. people, particularly grieving people, yeah. people who are feeling alone, who are going through a divorce, who have lost a loved one, who really um, live alone, um, you know, or I try to to let God bring to mind the people that are most in need and then s- set up to walk outside, social distanced. I-, I walk once or twice a day with people and it's been marvelous because it is such a it's you get the connection you get and you get the one on one and yeah. i i miss my small groups in my living room but many of those women one on one i've been walking with talking with texting with sitting social distanced with uh, outside my back porch i mean we can do ways of connecting intimately yeah. if we let god really spark those creative ways of being together i think I think that's one of the lessons that I've learned um, in from COVID, from this time period that we're in, is we, I think we, we're getting to a point in, in uh, human history or, or human relationship where we took connection for granted, right? Because we, we are so connected. Like, you can talk to anybody on the planet right now. Uh, and we get to a point where we were taking that for granted. And now I think like you're saying, all of these connections have become much more valuable and we're much more aware of them now, how important they are when we can't be with each other in person. Um, I like and that I, one. I do think in some ways we have, uh, you know, narrowed down to our essential people. Mm hmm. So essential workers were something very large at the beginning of yeah. the pandemic, but Really, I think through the whole process, we've become saying, you know, who are my essential people and how do I creatively connect? How do I invest in those people so that they can feel my love and I can feel their love, even though we we have a mask on or we right. are social or we can't travel to be together? How do we creatively do this, love yeah. and be loved you know, it it, it, it requires some um, openness mm-hmm. and flexibility and, and new thought process. Mm-hmm. And I think even the church has had to do that. Oh, we have become yeah. so much more flexible in the way that we are in life with one another. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I was talking to someone that's been coming um, to the uh, worship face to face and she said we come and as a family the, you know she has two young boys we come and she said it's kind of sad because there's so few people and we're masked up and we you know you got to sign up for it and all she said it's, it's a little bit sad for me but she said I just love to be to here to yeah. worship in the presence 
of others, um, and even though we're distance, and she said, I wish people would know how good it feels, even though it's different, it still feels good yeah. to be together like that. And and she she's expressed to me just concern. She's like, I just don't know what church is going to be like after all this is done. And I said, you know what? I feel like Northside is thriving. Mm -hmm. I think Northside is really thriving, but I think we're thriving in a variety of ways. We aren't just like check off the box that I go to church and, and, you know, leave and go eat lunch afterwards. That used to be easy. Sure. But now we go, okay, how do we be church to each other? And and so these walk and talks, these texts, these, you know, ways that we are doing podcasts and mm-hmm. in and, and, and um daily emails and 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 varieties of ways to worship online, face to face. I just think we have gotten good at giving a garden variety sure. of possibilities of connection. And so I said to her, I think Northside's thriving. And she said, that makes me feel really good. And she, she said, it makes me feel responsible to say, how am I mm-hmm. being church yeah. to people That's in good. my daily life? You know. So we've loved that conversation, that string of conversation. She and I have talked face to face and also emailed about that. And she, she's kind of filling me in and how she's being Northside Church. Um, That's good. Right now. I like that. I like that kind of call to action there. Yeah. Well, we and I think church? intention is a huge thing. Like yeah. um, you have to, you know, I want to reach out. I want to have God tell me who to speak to today. But I really like the idea of handwritten notes. Yeah. Um, over because everything's electronic, Zoom, computer, you know, email, text, whatever. And like you said, your friend coming up from the mailbox with a letter that somebody actually took the time to write a letter or send a card and actually thought about me. And and I have to say, I've I've been doing that for for Canterbury Court. I, I work on their board. And I've been sending notes to some of those people there that are by themselves. And it just... I don't know these people, but it makes a difference in me. Right. You know, I'm sure it helps them too. But being able to to sit with people or whether you know them or not, but to actually take that time and pray for them while you're writing a note is, is powerful on both ends. It is powerful. And I think that's one of the most strong streams of healing love that our church family has is the prayer note ministry Absolutely, yeah. to to be a part of that and to write notes is impactful and to receive them yeah. like a friend of mine just lost her father and her mother has been getting notes in pennsylvania from our church family That's awesome. and and she said they have helped her so tremendously to feel connected to the body of christ yeah um, the living body of Christ. And so that is one. And so if people are looking for ways to creatively connect, I mean, that is one, one aspect of our church family that is very strong and it's an easy way Absolutely. to connect into the stream of giving and receiving love tangibly yeah. through yeah. these prayer note ministries. What are some other ways that we can creatively reach out to folks who are grieving or when we ourselves are grieving? What are some ways that, particularly during this kind of COVID period that we're in, what are some creative ways to to deal with that um, or access that or address that uh, 
that we, they were kind of we're not forced to, but I mean, we kind of are in the sense of like it's just a new, it's a different time period. Um, what are some creative ways that we can do that? What are some other you ways? You know, Jenna had one of the most creative ones that uh, she did. <laughs> Let's hear it. She did with her grandkids for her mother, so the great grandmother got. A really amazing gift. Uh, it was it was my mother-in-law, but um, my mother-in-law lives in a, a independent living facility in, in Peachtree City, and she lives by herself. And I just imagine she's nine. She actually today is her birthday. And she's well, ninety-four happy, today. Happy birthday! Um, but anyway, um, yeah, it's hard to be creative, and so. I during the beginning of the pandemic when nobody was in school or daycare or anything I have four grandchildren um and at that time they were all under the age of five now they're under the age of six um but anyway (laughs) um so we decided that in something to do we had them all lay down on white paper and trace the outline of their bodies with their arms wide open oh that's cool and um and then each one of them at three four and five um painted their own however they wanted to paint it and um and then we cut it out the body outline and we wrapped them up i put them in a box there's a lot of glitter on them but um i put put them in a box um and then we wrote a little poem to my mother-in-law about you know these are our arms to hug her with and that we can't be with her but we're going to send her these hugs and to wrap them around her that's very cool um, she loved it and they took this great picture of 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 the the grand the great-grandmother all wrapped up in these colorful, <laughs> glitter-filled yeah, arms. That's great. And it was, it was, it's just joy-filled. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that can happen. Yeah. And I think the creative, what might I do to show my love yeah. is important. One of the things I've been doing is is taking pictures of things that remind me of people. Sure. You know, like I'll see a heart rock on the ground and I'll think of that person and say, thinking of you and send the picture, yeah. text the picture or you know email it do things where there's a tangible you know thing i'm thinking of you i'm praying for you god wakes me up a lot in the middle of the night and and there's specific people that he puts on my mind and i'll take i'll email them right in the middle of the night and say god had me up praying for you and i think it just makes people feel like they're not alone absolutely yeah there's also a great witness yeah that i'm listening to god and that i am you know i'm following through i mean god gives us a lot Lots of stuff all the time that we totally ignore. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's great. And I think the more we tune into that, the louder it gets. Sure. And And we are in intimate relationship with a very creative God. Yeah. That if we're saying, God, I want to love this person well, how do I do it when they're in New York and I'm here or when they're in their uh, hospital bed and I cannot be there? How do I love them? And God finds amazing ways, I think. So I think creativity, if we can tap into our creator. Yeah. That's the a, spirit of God can guide us into things that will blow our mind, yeah. you know? Yeah. Right. And again, I think intent. That's kind of my favorite word of the day, I think. <laughs> word of the day is intent. <laughs> but it's it's like I read somewhere that somebody was talking about, you know, during this time reaching out to people and that, you know, before I do anything today, I'm going to reach out to one person, mm-hmm. whether it's a phone call or text, a, a mm-hmm. note. But then that just kind of sets the tone for your day as well as a, you know, yeah, you've absolutely. given and it uplifts you and it uplifts them. And and you it kind of helps you through the, the grayness of your day. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's one of the quotes that you said, um, the best way out of grief 
is to do something for someone else who might be grieving. That was one of the quotes from one of the books that you, you know, that you had that um, if you're looking for a way out of your own grief, look for somebody who might need something that you can give. Absolutely. And you give that regardless of the size of it, even if it's a small thing, um, it really gets you outward looking. Gets you out of your own head, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. If you're looking to get out of your own cave, go find someone else's cave to crawl into, right? Yeah. <laughs> or or write Maybe. to them. <laughs> write to them cave to cave. Cave to cave. Cave to cave. I like because it. you do not want to invade. Right. Or avoid. Or avoid. Obviously, that's, that's what I've learned today. So invade and avoid. Avoid. Yep. Live between avoiding. those two guardrails and you'll move forward and so will others. And do it with intention. Yes. There we go. <laughs> We're learning with today. Intention. I like it. Yes. I like it. I like it a lot. Make hey, a decision. Look at we knew God was gonna show up and teach us what we were supposed to say. There you go. Yeah, there's there was, the sentence. There's another quote. Yeah, it, it says, is. make a conscious decision to live, not just be alive. Yeah. Which is kind of what go. that is, is that I, I do something yeah. to make a decision. When you said the word alive and choosing to be alive, this really made me um, think deeply when I got this this week from a woman whose dad just died this week and her husband died about six years ago, almost six years ago next month. Um, And she's taught me so much about grieving well. Um, But she shared with me this um, poem by David White. Um, It's called Sweet Darkness, and here's what he writes. When your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your vision has gone, no part of the world can find you. Time to go into the dark, where the night has eyes to recognize its own. There you can be sure you are not beyond love. The dark will be your womb tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in. Give up all the other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. That's amazing. Who did that, David White? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And and to me, we... um, we shed the things that are too small for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the horizon of love grows bigger yeah. over time. But that's the process that grief takes us through. Yeah. And that's when grief becomes the gift of really bringing us alive. Yeah. Yeah. to live fully 
and die well then, the legacy of living fully and dying well gets passed along, you know? Mm -hmm. In what ways do you, have you seen that through your well, hospice work? Well, one of the things I actually do in the Living Well, um, Living Fully, Dying Well course, when we talked about uh, legacy is, you know, for people to actually think about their own legacy before they die. Yeah. You know, what What do I want to leave? Who am I? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, a lot of times people will, there's something that you remember them for. You know, for me, it's collecting pennies because I have a big <laughs> jar of all the ones I find that said, right. you'd be amazed at how many pennies I find on walks. But, you know, for other people, it's something um, that they always, uh, a woman in the group had talked about Hershey bars and that her father loved Hershey bars. And he, um, so every year on his birthday, she'd buy 100 Her Hershey bars and randomly give them out to people. That's cool. Just yeah. to honor her dad mm -hmm. or... Yeah. Um, and so I think that, you know, a lot of people do the, the basic things when they're trying to remember someone like a, a foundation or a legacy or a cause that, right. you know, um, that really they can support a cause to help them get beyond their their inner pain that helps them honor the person that's gone. But I think, you know, some of the things that I've done um, with people is create a memory box where I've gotten like old cigar box or any kind of box and cut out things out of magazines, words, pictures, anything that reminds me of that person, glue it on the box, make a collage, and then little memories of them as they come along. Things I think about, I write down and put in the box. That's cool. And so it, it reminds me of that person or anything, you know, a couple, you can't keep everything they left behind, but a few things that they left behind. <laughs> you have you to can. keep everything <laughs> well organized. But, um, but anyway, it's just, you know, a way to create a memory of that person. Um, and then every year um, in, in Mexico, <laughs> they do um, day of the dead. And, um, and so after we were doing these classes, I started having that every year at my house on November 1st, except for this year. Um, because of COVID. Because of we COVID. Another it. thing, we couldn't honor <sighs> the dead. Um, so it's been a really magical thing where we set up an altar and each person gets their own altar for yeah. whoever they loved. Um, and so they come and they bring a picture or a Hershey bar or whatever that person represents. We bring right. whatever items are like symbols of sure. that person that we want to honor. Yeah. And we each have a, a, a little altar area with candles and, and different things cool. to be able to create the memory of this person in the community of uh, people. I mean, I don't know. We don't know, we, don't, right? we don't know one another, but we do know that um, we learn about each other's loved ones. Yeah. So each person takes a chance to tell about the story of this person. Right. And it's amazing. And, you know, after a while in grief, <laughs> you don't get to talk about them anymore. Yeah. People are tired of hearing your story. Exactly. But yeah. this gives people an opportunity every year to say, I remember you. And this is what I loved about yeah. you. And it might be the same person, it might be a different person that they sure. bring every year. And the then, other, the other thing we do, which is so fun, is that we each bring a potluck. We we each bring some food Mexican item. Mexican food or? No. no uh, whatever <laughs> our loved one okay. loved most. Right. Yeah, like Like that. so, for yeah. me, Beth Jordan, uh -huh. who passed mm -hmm. away from uh, here, she taught me how to make these um, uh, uh, vinegar um garbanzo beans okay i i like i mean like 
out of my wheelhouse, right? <laughs> but she had this great cookbook of, of eating healthy and well, and she made those for me one time that I went over, and I it, they were delicious. Yeah. And, and so I'm like, that reminds so me of Beth. And, you know, so I make those every every so often in yeah. her honor I'm like I could do that and I love remembering her because it's so out of the ordinary yeah. and so I took that the time that I went people bring elaborate things that are that remind them of yeah their they may not one. all go together right <laughs> I can imagine I can imagine a smorgasbord it is a smorgasbord for me my mother loved to make macaroni and cheese <laughs> <laughs> and so I make it from scratch okay. on that day but um but, but anyway I think that that's an important thing to do um in honoring people, and I, I hope that it continues. I mean, I hope my party gets bigger, but I, I hope one day that we move it to even a bigger place so more people can participate. Absolutely. And we can do it in our churches, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder if you could even expand it to include things that maybe not, I don't know, things that aren't uh, just about death, you know, to other forms of grieving that could also be recognized and. Wouldn't it be fun to do? I guess. Wouldn't it be fun to do that at the end of the pandemic? Oh, if man. it ever we're, we're comes, if party. we ever have That's a, a great party, yeah. we're finish, having a huge party. Yeah, yeah, like if we do the finish line ever, <laughs> then to to really come together and say these are things we have lost, yes. and I want to honor that no, absolutely. And and maybe then the other thing is what have we gained? Yeah. And you know, like that will be looking back at this period yeah. is going to be. And to do that as a church family, to richly really honor the process we've been through is going to be very important. It's going to be a true Easter of, yeah. of epic proportions, I think. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. It's been a fantastic conversation. I want to make sure that we got everything in that you guys wanted to talk about. Did we... Did we Leave anything out. This is you have any final words for people listening? On no, the podcast I would just today? say back to the the legacy, not even yeah. the legacy, but at the ending is ritual is is very important, important. I think, and so you can ritualize death in a lot of ways, yeah. you know, um, and and some other things that you could do is uh, when my mother first died, I would write her a letter every day on her every year on her birthday. Yeah, it just talk about what I'd done this year and how much I missed her about this, that, and whatever. Yeah. But it gave me a way to get it out. That's cool. That was before the day of the dead party. But. Right, right. That's <laughs> but great. anyway, there's. But I think creating a ritual around someone. I, I have an altar in my home that, for ancestors, and so I have their pictures up. And I just think our ancestors have a lot to teach us. Absolutely. But it, find creative ways to do it okay. as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, here today. And Sue, as well, thank you for joining us. And it's always fun. I uh, This was a great conversation, and yeah. I look forward to hearing some feedback about it. We'll, um, yeah, we do, too. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> well thank, thank you for thank guiding you us. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Every, uh, have a great week. Yeah, thank you. you, too. Bye-bye.